Welcome to the Mind Your OT Business podcast, where we empower and equip occupational therapy practitioners to be savvy and successful entrepreneurs. I am your host, Laura Park Figueroa. Ready to take action? Let's jump in. Welcome, welcome everyone. Today on the podcast, it is a very exciting day. I am recording and publishing this the very same day because registration is now open for the OT Entrepreneur Summit in May. It's very exciting. This is April 30th and we have launched registration. You can go to otentrepreneursummit.com to register now. Early bird prices are only going to be available until May 4th. So if you are hearing this past that date, you've really missed out. But if you're hearing it now when I'm publishing, go, do not delay. Go to the website now. We're only doing early bird pricing for the first four to five days, I think it is, because yeah, the fourth. Midnight on the fourth, early bird prices will end. The summit itself will start on the 11th of May. You, If you join the summit, you will get two interviews per day with successful OT entrepreneurs who are sharing about the secrets behind all of their success and specific areas that many of us are interested in learning about as entrepreneurs. Things like managing the finances of your business, things like writing a book, starting an online course. I can't even name them all. You need to go to the website and see how amazing the 16 different topics we have are. So you will get two interviews per day, um, per weekday from May 11th until the 20th. You will get freebies, like a free checklist or how-to guide or a free resource from each speaker. You will also get access to our free Facebook group where we will have interaction with the speakers and with one another to really form community around the celebration of OT entrepreneurship. It is so exciting. Trish Williams of Trish Williams Consulting and the owner of Spring OT in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and I have been planning this event for six months now. So it's just thrilling to see it all come to fruition. And I am excited about the value that it's going to offer to all of you. So, and along those lines, the guest today on the podcast is someone who is a speaker at the summit. Tamiko Faison is amazing. If you know her, you probably have seen her online. She's on LinkedIn. She's really active in the OT Entrepreneurs Facebook group. It is just a, a utter pleasure to talk with her. She was a speaker at the summit as well, and I got to interview her for the OT Entrepreneur Summit. And on that interview, we specifically speak about government contracting, so securing government contracts to fund services that you're providing. So if that is a topic you're interested in, for sure join the summit. Today, what we're talking about is an aspect of her practice that I think a lot of people are really interested in, and that is community mental health. We get into the nitty gritty about how to actually have a profitable business doing community mental health as an occupational therapist. So without further ado, here is my value jam-packed interview. You will want a pen and paper with you for this one or get ready to take notes on your phone. Do not listen to this while driving because you're going to have to stop and take notes on the side of the road. Here's my interview with Tamiko Faison. Okay, welcome to Miko Faison. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. 
I'm, I'm excited that we finally connected. I know we've been trying to bring you on for a long time to the podcast and we're both busy entrepreneurs. So here we are. Here we are. <laughs> it finally worked out. So I'm going to introduce you and your businesses to everyone, the two businesses that you run. So your okay. therapy practice is therapy, Therapeutic Solutions of North Carolina, and you guys provide contractual OT and counseling services to underserved populations. And I, I'm sure we're going to address that a little in our conversation, right? Um, you serve people with low vision, people with developmental disabilities, and adults with mental illness. On the other side of your work, as as Tamiko Faison, you own Faison Consulting, where you help therapy entrepreneurs create fun, profitable, service-oriented lifestyle businesses. I love that. Um, and you partner with universities, organizations, and therapists to increase therapy business ownership and innovative therapy practices globally. Clearly, we are OT soulmates. Welcome, Tamiko. I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. I'm glad to be here. So, Let's, our focus today in this conversation, you and I decided um, that we were going to talk about community mental health business because you are one of our renowned speakers at the OT Entrepreneur Summit, where you and I, <laughs> which registration is open today, the day we are recording. It is so exciting. We've only been open a few hours. We have 11 people registered. It's just, I was telling you before we started recording my energy is going to be very high because I'm so excited <laughs> um, and it's, it's really excited about yes it's it's just such an awesome like it's going to be such an awesome experience to have all these OT entrepreneurs together in the same space and just see where this takes all of our businesses it's very exciting so you and I talked for your summit interview which you'll you're presenting um, at the OT entrepreneur summit we talked about government contracting in that conversation. So we really want people to know that that information is in the summit interview. So um, otentrepreneursummit.com if people want to go there and register. Early bird pricing through May 4th, only through May 4th, 2020, if you're listening to this in the future. Okay, so today we're going to talk about community mental health services, which I think is another area that a lot of OTs, our heart as OTs resonates with the idea of providing community mental health services to clients. But there's a lot of confusion in our world about what community mental health even means. What is it? So can you talk on that to get us all started and so that we have a shared mental model about what it is we're actually talking about when we talk about community mental health OT businesses? Yeah, sure. So working as a, um, in community mental health is basically working in a community-based setting with people who have mental health diagnoses or impairments, as opposed to working like in a facility, a hospital, a nursing home. So you're going into the community, into those natural settings. That could be the home, it could be the library, it could be the bank, it could be the work environment. It could be also working with the other people that make up part of their community. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's a pretty broad definition, right? right. Mental, I mean, because mental health, it's interesting because my practice isn't a mental health, I wouldn't call it a mental health practice, but so many of the kids we see clearly have mental health challenges. I don't know about diagnoses, but clear challenges with mental health, anxiety, depression, like 
just just we see it in children so much nowadays um probably undiagnosed but nevertheless it's a it's a comorbid thing that happens with a lot of diagnoses that we see as as ot's right right and i, I think you make a good point now you know really you really can't separate a person and say that you're only going to work on the physical disability <laughs> if yeah. the person also has a, something going on in terms of mental health and so I think all OT should be addressing mental health. Um, when I say community um, mental health services, I'm specifically talking about people who have that as maybe their primary diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe working with a person who has schizophrenia or a bipolar or um, major depression, and that is the um, is what really is causing the breakdown in occupational performance. Okay. Okay. So that's a good clarifying way to think about it. Um, okay, great. So, and you serve mostly adults, right, in your practice. So tell us a little bit about how your community mental health OT practice is set up. What does it look like? So the company is set up in that we provide contractual services. And so we hire independent contractors and then they go out into the community and they work with people who are trying to be as independent as possible, but for whatever reason, they have a breakdown in their occupational performance. Um, we get the referrals from psychiatrists, from psych facilities, from psych departments at hospitals. And once we get the referral, then the referral is then um, we verify insurance because I am billing insurance for, mm -hmm. um, for these services, which I do want to talk about later because yes. I hear so many people saying you cannot bill insurance when you're working with someone with a mental health diagnosis. Um, but we are able to bill insurance. Um, after we verify, we call the person and we let them know what their insurance will pay for. And then from there, we set up the first appointment for an evaluation. Okay. So, oh my gosh, I have so many questions. Can you, so can you tell us, um, I think I'm having a hard time envisioning like what exactly it all looks like. So that, let's say there's a person who is in a psychiatric hospital for whatever reason, and they are I, I, I'm such not, a, this is probably going to be a great interview because I know so little about mental health and especially adults with mental health and OT mental health services okay. that I'll be asking questions that are truly like from a novice standpoint here. <laughs> okay. okay. Like, so let's say a person is in a psychiatric facility and they're ready to be discharged. That is when the referral would come to your company. Potentially. So in the past, I worked at a psych facility and we used to do what we called um living skills assessments okay and typically we would do those for you know for discharge planning okay and we would do these assessments and we would say you know based on this assessment we think this person can go back and live in the community but they need an ot to help them with the following well guess what we didn't have anybody to refer to because it's like, yeah. well, who is the OT that's going to help them yeah. to be able to go back into the community and be independently, live independently. So there are plenty of OTs and still plenty of OTs that work in psych facilities. And I'm pretty sure they're working on like the discharge planning and collaborating with the treatment team and the social workers. And if you see that the person doesn't necessarily need to stay in the psych facility, but also can't be 100% independent. Right. In home, and an OT could, you know, be beneficial. Yeah then what do you do? And I saw that gap um, when I was working at the psych facility. So yes, they can't, we can get a referral from the psych facility, but also from a hospital, like if a person came in for an acute episode and they're yep. questioning, 
what do we think? Do we think this person can, you know, handle their money management or um, managing public transportation? Or, you know, can they benefit from an OT coming in to help them to be as independent as possible? Right. And they can send over a referral. Okay. Yeah. So you get your referrals from a lot of different places, but it's really, that helped. Like even just hearing that process, when did you work in the psych facility? Like how long ago was that? Oh, wow. So I started out in a psych facility. So when I graduated in 2001, I worked for two years at a psych facility. And then I contracted at a psych facility, a couple of psych facilities for um, almost 12 years. Okay. (laughs) And that ended in 2017. Okay. But you, I I mean, this is, this is, I think, maybe a side topic, but is interesting to talk about that. Um, I think sometimes when people are new graduates, someone actually asked this on Facebook recently, like, how much experience do I need before I start my own business or whatever? And I do think there's something to be said for spending time in a a paid job where you learn to see what the gaps are and what the need is for OT and what a good business would be for OT and also to build skills, of course. But I'm thinking more the entrepreneurial mindset of running a business as an OT. Your experience, it sounds like, correct me if I'm totally off base here, but because you were entrenched in it and worked in it for so long, you're constantly seeing this need that there is a real gap in services that needs to be fixed in the market. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was very helpful. And that, that part of the business came later on. I would say the program that I was in at um, UNC Chapel Hill, part of the, um, my last year in that program, we ha- had a community-based practice course, which I think a lot of students have now, Mm-hmm. Um, I was very fortunate to have a professor who was also an entrepreneur. And the oh, research cool. I did at that time focused on adults with developmental disabilities. And so the gap, like when I was doing that needs assessment, the gap was clear that older adults with developmental disabilities were not getting the services that they need. And I was yeah. able to really go into my field work and implement the program that was created from that needs assessment. And that was the catalyst for the beginning of my business. So it started yeah. off consultant with group homes um but also like you said working in that psych setting and seeing there was really no one to refer to if we thought the person needed ot after discharge that also helped me to see again another gap right so can you hold on one second someone's skateboarding in the backyard in the wind i mean they know i'm recording hold on i'm going to just peek out the window and be like guys can you stop banging for like half an hour hold on go ahead COVID-19 funness. Okay. (laughs) You know, I have kids, Laura. I know. I know. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll leave this part in. This will be funny. (laughs) You know, I'm all about keeping it real on this podcast about business ownership and about running your business from home while coronavirus is making us all stay in our houses. So I love that my boys are out in the backyard skateboarding, usually, not when the room I'm recording in has the window to the backyard right behind me. So (laughs) I get it. I get it. Right. So let's talk about, because you alluded to that, we're we're meeting this gap, but in any business that we're going to create, we need to know how we would be paid. 
So I, I think a lot of people when they, at least I do, maybe I'm extrapolating to too many people based on my own brain, but I, my own thought is that, oh, community mental health would be so amazing as an OT. It's like going back to our OT roots. And also, I do not think I could make a business profitable by doing community mental health. So I want to know every single thing about how you did it. So just, we have 20 minutes, so you know, tell us everything. No. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I want to know how you made it profitable. Like, how did you, tell us about how that initial starting of the business, how did you figure out how to make the numbers work? How do you do it? Okay, so I'm going to talk about a couple of different, actually three different ways that you can make money in community mental health. So the first thing that I did was just contract, which I talk about um, in the summit, which yep. y'all will be registering for, right? Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so is I contracted with group homes. And so um, ICF, Intermediate Care Facilities, those are group homes that um, require OT if a person needs it because they get a bid rate financially from the government. Okay provide all the services the person needs. And so I reached out to every group home almost in the state. And I created, wow. this was a long time ago. So I created my own marketing materials and they, I mean, they look horrible now that I go back and think about what I did. <laughs> you know, I think I went into like a Staples and I got the CD and put it into the computer and figured out how to make my brochure and all of that. Yes. And then I went online. We're dating ourselves I, here, Tamiko. We're dating I know, ourselves. right, right. <laughs> That's what we it means, it means your experience. That's what yeah. it is. It means you're experienced if you remember I like doing this. Better. I like that better, that, that we have wisdom, right? Right, wisdom, wisdom. <laughs> so I, I knew how to market, and I think this was just a, um, it's natural for me to be aggressive about relationships and marketing and reaching out to people. Um, so I, and I also knew that group homes were regulated, and so I went to the site, the state site that regulates group homes, and it had the list of all the licensed group homes in the state. And Great. I took my brochures and I popped them in the envelopes and I mailed them. Um, and then uh, finally, I heard from a group home after they actually advertised in a paper and said that they had lost my brochure and they wanted to reach out to me. Uh -huh. we, we negotiated a rate. And um, this particular group home was part of a chain of group homes. So that's why I was- okay. With that, with that particular group home, um, they were a national, like a franchise almost. So that's one way is contracting with an agency. Um, and this, um, while I'm talking about contracting, I will say more, more recently, I just um, was awarded a um, RFP, a request for proposal. So these proposals go out um, requesting for services through the government. And mm -hmm. I wrote my very first RFP and responded to it and was awarded it. And this is for a community mental health like position to consult, to create this OT position with a fairly large community mental health agency. Um, so that's another way. So the first way was I went direct and negotiated. The second way yep. was responding to community mental health um, government proposals. Request for proposal, RFP, right? RFP, RFP. So responding yeah. to that and... Um, another way, Look, really, can I ask you a really quick question? I want you to share number three too, but when you created that initial, the contract where you're direct with the, with the group home, right? right? How did you know what to charge for that? What did you, did you, did you go with what you knew OTs were charging hourly? Did you build in time? Did you package the service? How did you price it? Probably you, you didn't do it right the first time because- Right. She's nodding, everyone. She's nodding. 
right, <laughs> who right. does? <laughs> right. Well, I had the um, the business plan from the course from okay. graduate school, and I paid attention to that. Of course, you know, I was thinking, oh, I can't ask for, for so much money. You know, I'm right. two years out of school, and I don't have as much experience, and all the imposter syndrome things that we do to ourselves, even when we have experience. Yeah, I went through that, and um. I came up with a rate that I thought was fair based on the amount of time that I would spend traveling to the home, you know, observing, doing my analysis, and yes. doing my write-up, and then going back again. Good. Um, I started off with an hourly rate, but what I found out later is that they, they accidentally sent me an invoice from the previous OT. <gasps> and and it, yeah, so I had asked a question about the invoice, and they said, oh, do it like this. And I looked at the rate, and my mouth just... Yeah, dropped open because I was going. Yes. What you you paid? <laughs> you were paying what? Yes. And so I just sucked it up because I'd already signed the contract, and I just you know I did the work at that rate, and then at the end of the year, with good quality services, it was fairly easy to say this is what I want now. When we, I'm raising. <laughs> yeah. I'm raising what a business. what a total blessing, though. I mean, what a blessing. Like, can you imagine had you gone for it? Maybe you would have raised rates a little bit, but like, like what was the difference? I mean, I know you don't know the exact numbers probably, but like, was it double? Was it three times? Was it 50% more? Like, do you remember roughly what it was? It was probably at least 20 to 35% more. Yeah. So a large pay bump for yourself. Yeah. And I think sometimes we don't, it's, it's interesting because we think, I think about um, like travel companies, you know, that are, now, granted, they're placing therapists in difficult to fill positions, right? But if you think about what a school district or a hospital is paying a travel company to fill that OT position, that's what we're worth, okay? And, <laughs> so, I, and I, I've never worked for a travel company, but I've heard people say like, oh, they'll put you up in a hotel and they'll pay par- a portion of your utilities and they'll, I'm going, yeah. really? They do all yeah. Because they're, they're charging their customer, the, the consumer who is the, the service provider, right? The hospital or the school, they're charging them an astronomical rate for, because usually they're hard to fill positions. Now, you know, it kind of, that, that's market need, right? Like if, if right. the market need is there, then you can charge a higher rate for the service. But it sounds like that's what you're doing with this community mental health model. There's a market need for this. It's a market, you know, need. so it's a market need and it's, it's the contracting part has been easier to break into. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to shift a little bit to the other way you can make money. Is yes. Uh, billing insurance. That's still, you know, to really scale that we still have a ways to go, which is why I responded to that RFP because I think my connection with a larger company will make it easier for um, that part of the practice to be scaled and to, um, okay. And to be, I'm, and I'm even okay with it being scaled through their company because I just want to see more OTs working in the community with people. Yeah. Explain that to me. I'm confused. I I missed what you just said. I think I lost you. So you're, you're having another company that's doing your billing for you. Is that what you're saying? No. So what I was saying is the, the part of my business that bills insurance for people who have a mental health diagnosis is, Mm -hmm. is very small. Okay. It's very small. And so um, I responded to this RFP because I have a relationship with someone there who um, has a similar vision for OT in the community as I do. And they have a lot, they have a large population of people with mental illness who could benefit from OT services. Okay. Um, so the, yeah, the part of my business that builds insurance for people with, that have mental health diagnosis is very small, but there is a way 
to scale that. I'm just doing a lot of different things as yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. You know, at the summit. And this is the, I think, uh, just a huge myth when people say the person has a mental health diagnosis and I can't do insurance. Well, it really depends on the insurance. If you look at the insurance, if you're looking at the insurance and the insurance contract, does it say CPT code X cannot be dealt with diagnosis code X? Mm-hmm. That's what you're. That's what you're looking for. Um, if you understand your CPT codes and your ICD-10 codes, then you can understand what can and cannot be billed. And right. if you build the wrong combination together, you're going to get denied. And you could learn that way, which is probably the harder way. But if you yeah. know what, what um, for example, um, with Medicare, they have what they call LCD, local coverage determination codes. Okay. I don't know who the powers will be that have this meeting each year and they decide these are all the ICD-10 codes, yeah. codes that OTs can deal for the CPT codes. Yeah. So look, look at the list and see what's on the list. And you'll see that there are codes that, um, diagnostic codes that are codes for mental health diagnoses. Okay. Where do you find that list? And we need OTs in that room making the decisions. Okay. That is what yeah. I want to <laughs> And where do who, people find the list? That's what we oh need to know. Oh my goodness. So when I look, first looked at the list, there were, there were diagnoses up there that just had me scratching my head. I was like, who, how did this diagnosis yeah. get up? I yep. can't remember some of them, but some of them were, I was just very surprised that they were on the list. So you're, the insurance company should have the list. So Medicare has a list. Okay. If you're a Medicare provider, you should be paying attention to your LCD codes, your local coverage determination codes. If you're a Medicare provider, you have a fiscal intermediary, which is like the third party company that's regulating um, for your particular geographical location, they're regulating the billing and the, you know, all the regulations for that particular area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can call them and talk to them. You can say, look, I can't find the codes. They're on the website. They should be on the website. There's a way that you can go into, so for my area, it's Palmetto. I can go onto the Palmetto website and I can search that information. Okay. Is Palmetto the name of the insurance company or? Uh, Palmetto it's, is the fiscal, what they call a fiscal intermediary. So okay. Every, fiscal so, intermediary. Yeah, or FI. So with Medicare, Medicare, of course, is federal. And then across the nation, there are uh, FIs or fiscal intermediaries for different geographical areas within the country. And they regulate, you know, they do the, they're in charge of the credential, like the Medicare credentialing and the regs and all that for that particular area. So I, it's not good for me to tell someone, I know for sure you can do this with your billing. Right. If they're in California and I'm in North because, Carolina. Because it's different. very different. Yeah. And yeah. it's the same. I know for Medicaid, because I've interviewed people on the podcast before who have had a large number of clients that are Medicaid clients. And I'm like, I can't even with like what Medicaid will pay me here in the state of California for 97530, like Therax or Therax, AX activities. Um, I can't pay an entry level therapist. Like right. I, I, I can't even pay the hourly rate to an entry level therapist. So I would be losing money if oh, I wow. took, so, so it's like, and there may be other codes. I have not looked heavily into it. I can't say that I'm an expert on Medicaid billing in California, but my point is the guest that I had on was like, well, oh no, here it's like, you know, she was, she gets close to a hundred bucks an hour there. I get yeah. 44. <laughs> so, oh, it's wow. like, so it's like very, it's very different with different States and you have to make sure that it sounds like with, even with Medicare, if you're looking for this fiscal intermediary, 
you, you need to be able to look at your area and not say, well, Tomiko made it work in North Carolina, so I could make it work in California or Montana or wherever you're, <laughs> Texas, yeah. wherever you are. Um, Australia, Europe, right. clearly you're not going to be <laughs> dealing right, with right. Medicare. Um, so, yeah, so you, so, okay. I want to, I want to back up because we got really nitty gritty and I think there were a lot of like, you clearly know your stuff. And I think that there's a lot of, um, great information here. I think people are going to want to like get out a notebook and take notes while (laughs) the last part that you were sharing. So people need to look at these fiscal intermediaries, these FIs and find which diagnostic codes are billable for which um, uh, billing codes, right? So you want to know the, the ICD 10, 11, what are we on now? Are we on 10? I think it's still 10. (laughs) Yeah. ICD 10 code and the CPT code. CPT code. Yeah. That's the word I was missing. I'm like, what's the billing (laughs) number code? So, so those need to be, those need to be compatible with whatever insurance the person has. Um, right. And, and do you feel like, oh, that's a question I had. So do you feel like an, an OT entrepreneur who wants to start, um, I mean, this is kind of a, a conversation about just building insurance even. If you want to start doing that, do you, is it beneficial for you as the business owner to understand CPT codes and ICD-10 codes as the business owner, or do you just outsource it to a billing person? I think it's important to understand. It doesn't mean that you have to be the person person that's doing it, but you do want to be able to have a a general understanding of it and you want to look at it. Um, And, you know, it's it's detail oriented. I'm definitely a big picture person. I'm a creative, I'm an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot for me to to make sure that I'm sitting down and I'm looking at it. I've had, I had someone call me recently uh, was a physical therapist and he said oh I'm not getting my payments are you getting your Medicare payments and I said yeah I'm getting mine and he said well I'm not getting mine and I said well do you know why he and he had everything outsourced and he said no I said well did you ask the billing agency he says well they said they don't know and I said well did you go into your to your account and he's like what account (laughs) and I said like your fiscal intermediary they have a site and you can log in with your information and you can look at your claims yeah look at the denials you can look at the and he's like, I don't know, I have that. <laughs> you need to know what that yes. is, and you need to go in there, and you need to you need to take a look at it. That's your and money. So, yeah, <laughs> that's your money. And so, I, I mean, it was certainly a learning curve for me, um, and I'm still learning. I don't think I know everything about insurance, um, but I've learned a lot by failing forward. It's a term I've been using a lot lately with other entrepreneurs. Totally. Um, but. Yeah, I think you need to you need to have a, a good understanding, and that's going to take some time collaborating, networking, and reading. Like reading your, what does your insurance contract say? Okay, you get credentialed with the insurance. Now what? Then you just yeah. start doing it. Like there's a contract that you have signed that you you know you sign that says that you need to do certain things. Yeah. And if you read it, how do you know? And talk to us about that, because I know in some ways when you bill insurance, it limits you being able to, like, you can't just say under most plans, you can't just say, well, sure, I'll take this insurance, but I'm also going to bill clients on top of that another 30 bucks per visit or something. There's really clear, you have to be very clear about 
what you're right. allowed and not allowed to do when you right. take insurance. Right. You, so. you need to read it. And then if you don't understand it, call them. And so we had someone more uh, recently who was, uh, I think she was getting another service and we knew insurance was, was not going to pay for our services. And so we told her and she said, well, I don't care. I still want services from you all. Plus I want what I already have and I'll just pay for it. And so we called and we we're like, let's just make sure because we know with some insurances, you can have them sign an advanced beneficiary notice in ABN saying, I understand, okay. not going to pay for it. And I agree to, to pay out of pocket. And so I called and we said, can we do this? And they said, yes. And so then we say, what's your name? <laughs> and then we, we document that and we write the time down and we say, Good. okay, we put this in the chart. We, this person wanted it. They signed this. We called, we got verification and we have a reference number for this call. Good. That is, that is a great tip too. When dealing with insurance, always get the name of the person that you spoke with or any payer really like any just getting the name of it's such a simple tip, but how often do we forget to do it? You know, that, right. that we just talked to someone and we're like, well, I called on Tuesday and I don't know who I talked to and where it is in this should be in there. Didn't they take notes? You know? <laughs> right. Right. And we learned that the so, hard way because we would say, yes. well, we, we verified insurance and they told us and they're like, they who that's not the case. And then we're going, okay, <laughs> we need right. to make sure that we're documented. Right. Totally. Um, okay, so I guess my other thought that came up too about funding community mental health services, I'm wondering if there is a market for community mental health services in private pay. Like, is it possible that there could be, and maybe in different areas of the country, I don't know, like I have no idea on this, but. I certainly think so. I think it's just understanding your target market. That was the last uh, source I was going to say. So one is the contract, whether you're doing it private or responding to a government. Okay. Uh, the other is the insurance and then also private pay. And we have had people to say that they want to pay privately. That's not the market that we've went after. Right. But certainly in, a, in, in my area, like in North Carolina in the Triangle, there's a lot of people who pay privately for, um, for like pediatric services. I know that yeah. for a fact, I have a friend, her company is entirely cash-based. Uh, for pediatric services. The PT that I go to, um, that I take my son to is cash-based. Mm -hmm. um, I think there is, and I've also negotiated, uh, there's like a donor for one particular company in the past and they just pay, they pay cash. So like we have a donor, they're gonna pay cash and they want to make sure that this person gets uh, to be, to participate in groups. And that's another um, area that OTs you know, I don't know that they do groups in the community yes. they do groups all day long in the psychiatric facility. It's like four groups a day, you know, and then you go into the community and that um, you don't really see the group work. Um, so let's talk about groups because this is, this is, I know a lot about groups billing, maybe not mental health, but groups because my whole practice is set up around groups. Like we do oh. very few individual services. It's all groups. And mm -hmm. I, I realized, and we're cash pay, but I realized right away that this is like, like the insurance companies, we send super bills. So like parents, insurance companies, billing, it's not set up to have good reimbursement for group services. Like we do a two hour group with kids because it's a group and we're in nature. You need time to like walk out to where you're going to play and an hour just doesn't do it. It's way too short. Right. And we want kids to be able to spend time together. So because we're cash pay, we have some flexibility with how we run 
our services and we just say it's a two hour group or an hour, 45 minutes, some of them. Um, so, so the challenge is that we're billing on these super bills to families, like the paid in full invoice essentially that we give to families. Cause if they want to submit to their insurance to get a little reimbursement back, we're happy to provide that. Okay. So we give them this, you know, the super bill, the paid in full thing, but it looks so weird because it's like eight units of group 97150 group OT. And yet no insurance company is going to pay for eight units of any. It's like the way the billing is set up is not set up for best practice. Like it would be ideal to have a group that is a little longer so kids can actually interact and you can also get some one-on-one -on -one time with each kid. But there's no insurance company in the world that I know of. As far as I know, no parent has ever gotten reimbursed the full amount back, you know? So it, yeah. I don't know. Do you, do you have comments after hearing that? I mean, I'm wondering what you're dealing with with reimbursement for groups because it's, I feel like our billing systems are not set up to yeah. for best practice, just not best practice. Yeah, so I did uh, cash for the group that I was um, doing a while back. We just yeah. did cash and we didn't do insurance. However, I am familiar with the code you just mentioned. And in our state, it is an untimed code. And so you can't bill, you know, it's what, whatever you bill is this. It's just oh, that's untimed. interesting. So, yeah. But with Medicare, I'm just going back to what you said about the units. You can bill eight units, but it's not for a group, but you can do that for individuals. Um, and then there's another insurance that one time we billed more units and they paid it. And we were, we were in shock. We were going, Oh, you can build this amount of units. And, and they said, yeah, yeah, you can build, you can build more than two hours. We were really surprised um, because we always thought the cap was eight units was a two hours for individuals, but for hmm. groups is untimed. And so it is not really set up, like you said, to, yeah. um, at least in North Carolina, I don't know if any other States where they find that it, insurance reimbursement is set up to um to be economical you know if you're providing group services because you you have the planning and then you do the group and then you have absolutely the afterwards and you know you, you have multiple people in the group so we just went with cash um i, I do think that works best probably for most <laughs> if you're providing group services for groups yeah um. yeah unless yeah unless like aside from insurance though if you're you're contracting or you're working with like a nonprofit, you know, to negotiate a rate per person. Yeah. Per in person in the group. Yeah. Yeah. There's someone that I'm working with now, actually, um, well, right before COVID-19 hit. And that was what we were looking at as a per person um, rate for group work. Yeah. I don't think they would ever reimburse what we charge per group. We essentially charge what we would charge for a one hour individual service for the two hour group. So okay. it's like half the price essentially of a per, per minute, I guess of, but, but there's no insurance company that would, that would pay that per group member, like the per group rate. I think, I think what I'm trying to explain and not doing a very good job of is that the billing system, the way it's set up through insurance, it, it's like they don't value group services. They, they value the one-on-one -on -one individual, which to me is like so crazy because if kids have social, specifically for social skills, like the kind of kids that we work with, like yeah. to, to think that we're going to teach them to socially participate by being one-on-one -on -one with a therapist in a little cubby in a clinic yeah. is, is just not reasonable. We need to be in the community, in the context in with the, which the child is socially participating 
with other children. And essentially that's, it becomes a group model if you're kind of, I mean, I guess you could bill individually if you were just the OT with that child in the context. But it's sad to me that we don't value groups more in the way that our, our system reimburses for services. So anyway. I agree. I agree 100%. So we need more advocacy because yeah. you can have things change. I remember having a conversation with one man about insurance and he said, well, go to the insurance company. He said, go there physically to the insurance company and plead your case and write it up. And I was going, you can't do that. He said, oh yeah, you can do that. He said, I, he said, I did it. He said, I went to Virginia. He was in, he was in North Carolina. He said, I went to Virginia and I, I negotiated the rate because I said, this makes no sense for you to reimburse this amount. And this is why we need X amount. And they negotiated and the rate went up. And so I think we need more advocacy in that area. I've seen it being effective in low vision. So in the past, ODs, optometrists could not refer and uh, sign off on plans of care for occupational therapists. But with a lot of advocacy, shout out to Mary Warren, who um, was huge and OT is huge in the low vision field. No, lots of advocacy and now that's changed. So low vision optometrists can now sign off on the plan of care for occupational therapists because of you know her work as well as some of the others who were working with her. So I think I, we need that for groups. <laughs> yes, I love that story. I think we do too. I think we we need to be it's easy to get so discouraged and to not remember those stories of success, right? Of of like, oh my gosh, they advocated and something actually changed in the policy, you know, in the reimbursement rate. Like right. And right. I, I talk about that a lot about why I feel now granted, I live in a higher cost of living area, you know, so it it in some ways, now you'll hear people all the time that run cash practices say, you can run a cash practice anywhere, even in an impoverished community. And I'm like, well, let's be real here. Okay. So so I don't, I don't know because I haven't tested that as a theory, but I, I do think that, um, you know, even if you live in an area where there's high cost of living and there is the, the, the population that can pay for the cash-based services, you're, you're still, I think as OTs, we still have this heart that we want to serve the people that, that truly need and can't afford to pay for it. But there's this hard balance as an entrepreneur of like, you need your business to be profitable. You need your business to be sustainable or you're not going to be able to help anyone if you, if you don't make sure that your business is sustainable financially over the long run. So it's, yeah. just, a, it's just a rock and a hard place in some ways, I think. Like, um, I agree. I think that um, to your point that when you're you know, really focusing on those folks who from a financial you know, perspective cannot you know, bring in large amounts of money in order for you to really sustain. It's almost like either you have to have multiple streams of income or you have to scale. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so if you're only making $10 an hour off of, you know, every hour of treatment, then 30 hours a week might not cut it. You might need to figure out a way to, to bill um, 500 hours a week. You might need to come up with a plan where you're really scaling. Because when you're small like that and you're working with those types of populations, any small bump can like take you out. And like, it, yeah. just seems, yeah. it seems like you're just a lot more vulnerable. So I'm thinking like either you scale or either you have multiple streams of income when you're trying to find that balance. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been really apparent, right, in this current crisis that we're living in with the coronavirus, just feeling like there, if you have multiple streams of income in your business, you're, you're protected more than businesses that just had that one, 
I mean, the thing I think of obviously is like a clinic space, like a physical space where you have people come in and that's what you're doing for your source of income, right? And you had to shut down for several months. Right. So um, really good learning. I mean, I think this whole pandemic has has caused a lot of business owners to reflect and reimagine like what their the good thing that has come out of it is that we can reimagine what a healthy business looks like. You know, because I don't know that I was thinking, I, I definitely as an entrepreneur, you and I are so similar, like, we have all these ideas, right? Mm -hmm. But I think it has, this whole situation has helped me really think, okay, for the long term viability, like, what are the multiple revenue sources that my business could have, that if, if one is affected, maybe the other one, not so much, or, or different tiers of pricing, you know, where you have more affordable things, but then you have very high price services. And if one goes down, the other might go up or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting. I think so. I think having that, or if you were, if you scaled and you saved, and so some businesses have six months of emergency fund. I know a optometrist and I remember talking to him when he first opened up and he said, I work here and then I work at night. And I said, well, why are you doing it? He said, cause I want a year. I want one year of an emergency fund wow. for my business. <laughs> and that was unbelievable. He's like, yeah. He was like, and I said, why is that? He said, cause I used to work for this company and they always were like, you know, it was a big company, but they never had any money. Like they didn't have a yeah. solid financial plan for emergency. So um, if you scale large enough, then you can have a lot, you know, money above and beyond what you need to pay yourself and your staff and so forth. And you can have money in the bank when there is an emergency um of course no one could really foresee no i don't think no um, one could foresee this and i totally i totally believe that there are fiscally responsible businesses that probably might not survive you know just because of the complete and utter like unimaginableness of this whole thing i just yeah. made that word yeah. up but okay <laughs> um i was gonna say too is scaling i i also think that if you, if you scale too quick and you don't manage your money well, it can actually, adding any service or any revenue source to your business often increases costs, right? Like, so if you're going to create some new program or you're going to create a new thing to offer online or, or a course or whatever, there's always costs associated to anything that you do when you scale, right? So just managing, scaling can bring in more money, but also just knowing as a business owner that when you're scaling, we have to be responsible about managing the um, the cost of developing a new service in order to scale responsibly, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think paying attention to your break-even point and having mm -hmm. a report to look at to project those numbers. So let's say you're at five therapists and you know exactly what your break-even is with five therapists, mm -hmm. and now you're going to go to 10. How much more money is needed in terms of overhead to get to 10 and how much more profit is going to come in when you when you have 10 right and in putting that data and those numbers with all the previous data that you have from your you know cancellations and conversion rates um and so forth those are the areas that i feel like have been the hardest for me hmm. um but the most beneficial in terms of understanding how other businesses take that leap yeah well, that, that actually is a perfect, um, a perfect segue into our last few questions because okay. one of, and maybe you just said it, but one of my questions that I, I ask everyone who comes on the podcast is what do you, what do you feel like has been your biggest fail learn as a business owner? 
like yeah. a failure you've had, but what you learned from it and what other people can learn from, from your mistakes so that maybe they can make different mistakes in the future. <laughs> oh yeah. I would definitely say, um, not understanding the numbers with insurance, hmm. you know, um, Definitely, I responded to a need. Again, here I am looking at a need and I'm looking at an underserved population and responding to a need, but not really under, fully understanding insurance and the types of reports. Like I didn't really keep KPIs, key performance indicators. I didn't look at that data, hmm. um, but I've learned now. Like I have lots of reports every Monday that I'm looking at yeah. um, and paying attention to and putting number, you know, a monetary value um, towards those numbers. And so my advice would be to, you know, to prevent yourself from losing. I lost a lot of money, <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of money over a certain amount of years, but I just, as an entrepreneur, I love problem solving and I just yeah. could not stop when everybody was telling me to stop. And I'm telling you, Laura, I had people telling me, why are you doing this? You right. can contract, you do this, you do all these other things why don't you just stop it? Why don't you just give up on that? Because throw in the towel. Yeah. It's bleeding, you know? Yeah. But I, there was nothing in me and this is spiritual too. It's like, this is a calling. There's yeah. nothing in me that will allow me to do that right now. I have to figure it out. There's a way to figure it out. And I hear people say, well, you just can't make money doing insurance. But then I meet people. I'm like, but they're making money. Building. Mm. Like there's got, there's something that I don't know that I need to learn. And that's what I um, had to do. So my advice is to build your business skill set and that's with people who have the knowledge and understand what resources are out there to to build that knowledge first <laughs> you know yeah. i did it uh you know i kind of jumped in and i was like oh okay right right right, right. <laughs> and then i had to go backwards um and if i would have had like now i feel like i can tell almost anyone how to set up their reports for billing insurance and how to scale it and fairly easy like, yeah to go, go to six figures as a small company yeah um, or even seven figures, but um, that's not the route that I took. I took the long. Right. Route. I took the long route. <laughs> you chose. You chose the hard road of learning by doing and failing, which yeah. we all have. We do because you don't. What are, know, you right. don't know, you know. Yeah, totally. So, what are some of those? I mean, just off the top of your head, I don't. I, I'm thinking of two questions now. I, I just love talking to you so much. To me, go. I could talk to you for hours, um, but I'm trying to keep these doable for people to listen to in like, you know, a long walker hike or run or whatever, or doing dishes for an hour. Uh, okay. <laughs> so the two questions I had when you shared that were what, what are some of those K KPIs and what are some of those resources that people could go to? Are there courses? Are there books? Are there, I don't know, what are resources and what are the KPIs that you look at? So some of the KPIs are, um, so you project at the beginning of the week, you know, what, how many visits, how many units um, mm -hmm. per person. Um, then you look at, you know, cancellations, you look at the conversion rate, how many referrals are coming in, um, but how many of those are converting? Like, do you yeah. know that how many actually convert? And then on average, when you discharge the person, how many visits on average is a person, does a person get? How many okay. do you need to keep a person, um, at 15 hours, if they're coming in as a contract and they want to work 15 hours per week, and then you put you put monetary values to to some of this data. Mm -hmm. um, so those are some of the KPIs. What was the other question? The other question is resources. Like, what are what are resources you would recommend if people are hearing this conversation and they're like, maybe I could start billing insurance, or maybe I could start in community mental health, and I want to start billing Medicare, or Medicaid, and um, where would you recommend people start? Is there like a 
book or a resource or they need to pay you for some of your time to help them? <laughs> like, I mean, you can feel free to say that. Like, <laughs> I, I, I certainly recommend consultants and coaches. Yeah, you know, I highly recommend that. You know, people who have done what you are, you know, what you want to do, they've already done it. Mm -hmm. I also recommend uh, interprofessional relationships. Yeah. Having an advisory board, so I do have an advisory board, and that those folks that are on that board are not OTs. There are people from different um, professions with expertise and skill set that I don't feel like are my strongest strengths. Mm -hmm. Now I don't always listen to everything that they say, <laughs> you know, because some of right. those folks on that board told me get rid of this. Um, but it's interesting to have, you know, the mastermind. I don't know if you've read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. But he talks okay. about the, the mastermind and he says, basically, you know, this new mind emerges. I think I mentioned it in the summit um, and, and want to give reference to that book. But there's this new mind that emerges when you have multiple minds coming together. Yeah, I love that. But with the advisory board, I think too often people share, but they don't get into the details. My board advisory board meetings are very detail oriented. So they say, hand me your profit and loss statement. Let me see your balance sheet. <laughs> Let mm -hmm. me see. You know, so yes. they're looking, and they're looking at all this. And, Transparency. You know, they're totally transparent and they're reading it. And so you may be saying, yeah, everything is going good. And they may be looking at the numbers and they're like, okay, in two months, there's going to be issue. Or, oh, I have right. one person on the advisory board who would send me an email and he would, um, he has these level 10 meetings, which are common in the business world where you're looking at data and you're putting um, you're highlighting in red where there's a concern and you're highlighting green where it's well. And he he does that after the meetings and he sends it to me and says, hey, uh -huh. this is what I see that's going well based on the data. This is what I'm seeing where there's red flags and you need to pay attention to this. Um, so advisory board, I highly, and not everybody on the advisory board will be a person that you have to pay. There are some people that are just willing to give back. So you may have to ask around and say, this is what I'm looking for. You know, someone who's really good in marketing who may be willing to sit with me you know, four times a year, yeah. have a face-to-face -face meeting to put it all out there and let's talk about my business goals and my strategic planning and where I'm going and, yeah. you know, what, what I'm doing well and what I need to work on. Do you pay people on your advisory board? That was my, you totally thought of my question because I was like, I wonder how she made her advisory board. Like, was it, did it start with people you knew that were business mentors and kind of grow? Like, how many people is it? Like, um, right now it's four people. And so okay, so it's I, small. It's very small. Yeah. Um, and I asked around. I asked, um, I asked a doctor um, that I leased from, I leased my office from. And I, because I knew he just was a clinician. He was a doctor. And yeah. he opened this practice. So I was like, well, who, who did all your stuff for you? Know, who said you? Right, right. I had a recommendation. And then I asked for another recommendation. And then, you know, I'm online and I'm networking and so forth. And I love reaching out and meeting new people. And I'd ask and just say, would you be willing to, you know, sit on my advisory board. And I always offer to pay. I always say, if there's a charge for your three hours of time, every quarter, what would that be before we, you know, right. come to the table? And we put it in writing, but um, only one of the persons out of the four charges me. The rest of them. That say, is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing though, but it's, it's evidence of you, like, your spirit it's like you build connections with people and people are willing to invest in the health of your business because you're doing really great work in the world too i have to say like clearly you know i mean it's it's a such a worthy cause that i think people they love you and they want to invest in you but also they know the mission of your business is 
is really worthy of their time. So that is just, that's gold right there. Like just to get an advisory board of people that you can trust, that you can be really real and transparent about your business finances with. And just about like decision-making in the business and things, just to have another brain outside of your own brain. Right. Right. So that might, that might actually be, I mean, again, it's funny how this conversation is just flowing with the questions, but the, the other question I always ask people is what's going so well right now in your business and what would you recommend to others to have the same level of success in that area that you're doing really well in? Um, well, I think um, what I'm super excited about is this, um, this new community mental health position. I mean, this is very new. Hmm. Um, and in order to do that is, you have to look for the contracts, you know, you have to look for those opportunities and you have to build relationships. So I do have relationships with community mental health organizations where I may go out and um, do a presentation Mm -hmm. and it doesn't stop there. So occasionally I'll work with therapists and they're saying, Oh, I'm trying to get referrals. And, you know, I went out and I did the presentation and they, they're not sending any referrals. And I'm like, well, how long ago? You know, they're like two months. Right, right, right. I'm like, okay, well, I've been talking to this organization for three years and I consistently communicate. I get phone numbers. I send texts. I send emails. I offer, um, you know, is there anything that like COVID-19 right now, I'm not just sending messages out to people saying I need referrals because people are counseling. I'm saying, is there anything I can help with your business? Yes. How, how are you all doing? Um, so it's, it is all about those, um, relationships. Yes. That, yeah. that is like, and that's the key, right. Of all our marketing is I feel like it is not about us. It is about the people we're serving. And that is a, that is, you can't remind yourself of it enough. We are, we are innately kind of as humans focused on our own needs, I think for survival right. <laughs> and just our own. I mean, we're very, you know ego central in our minds, like on our own needs. And I think the more that we constantly remind ourselves, like it is not about us. It's about the people we're serving is the better our businesses will be able to serve. So I think so. I think so. I think yeah. service is at the center. And I actually just wrote, a, I think I a blog or a LinkedIn article about this. If service is at the center, it attracts money. Hmm. You know, that the money it does come. Of course, there's things that you have to do, but if you truly understand the why, you can get to the how. Yeah. Oh, that's a great note to end on. If you truly understand the why, you can get to the how. Like, I love it. <laughs> so where can people find you online and what do you, what do you have going right now besides being awesome and being in the summit in a few, in a week? <laughs> oh I feel like I have so much going on. We talked about this with us being in school. It, oh, yeah. really- oh, gosh. <laughs> a lot about that but I have that going on and I'm really focusing on entrepreneurial content for um, universities because I think we need more resources for OTs who do choose to become entrepreneurs Um, you can find me at faceandconsulting.com there's free resources I blog up there once a month I have some books that you can download I write a lot on LinkedIn um, and do articles there and what's your do you just look you up by your name on LinkedIn Yes, Tamiko Faison on LinkedIn. And then if you want to see like my silly side of my personality, I'm Tamiko Faison, wealthy woman on Facebook. Oh, um, cute. I love it. <laughs> um, but let's spell your name, T-O-M-E-I-C-O. Right. right. And your last name's F-A-I-S-O-N. So that's yes. how you need to spell it. If you go, you can find her on LinkedIn, Facebook, and facingconsulting.com. Little funny story. 
my son edited the videos for the for the summit uh-huh. And we had him put in like the title of someone's company under their name. And he uses dictation a lot. And he, when he showed me your video, it said Tamiko Faison and underneath it, it said face and consulting. <laughs> I was like, buddy, we need to fix that before we put this out at the summit. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I was like, did you dictate that? Because I don't think, I don't think your computer understood what you meant. <laughs> it was very cute. So Oh, Tamiko, thank you. This has been an awesome conversation. I think this is one people will need to like re-listen to with their notebook and pen in hand. And I'm so thankful to you for, you just, you just share so freely such valuable information. And I appreciate you being in the OT world. And likewise, (laughs) I'm very excited about this summit and um, just being able to, to know you as well as Trish and all the wonderful things that you all are doing. Cool. We're much more to come, I'm sure, with us collaborating. So it's so exciting. So thanks, Tamiko. We'll talk soon. Okay, have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. So I realized after recording this and doing the show notes for you guys that the show notes will have a lot of this information for you. So if you were listening while you couldn't take notes, you can go to mindyourotbusiness.com slash podcast slash 23 is the number of this episode. But if you just go to Mind Your OT Business, you'll be able to find this episode and you can see all of the show notes there. I normally outsource editing and have been having someone else do the show notes, but today I wanted to get this out really quick. And so I am back to doing the show notes today for you guys. So they're rather detailed. So I hope you all gained such useful insight. I know that I learned a lot because this was really a topic that I didn't know a lot about. And I would say that my action item from this interview would be, I think, you know, it's funny. I think it really has encouraged me to think about diversifying revenue sources in my practice. And we are doing that a little bit in ways unrelated to things talking about we talked about on this podcast. But I think diversifying revenue sources is something that all business owners should be thinking about. And this was a great episode to remind us of that. The other thing was my favorite thing was was Tamiko's quote at the very end of the episode. I'm sure you guys heard it. I'm going to say it again. It was when we were talking about that we need to remember in our marketing, but also just in general as we run our businesses, it is not about us as the business owners. It's about the people we're serving. And Tamiko said, if service is at the center, it attracts money. If you truly understand the why, you can get to the how. I'm going to end there. What better note to end on? So take a small step this week, you guys, because remember, small steps make great gains over time. So until next time, mind your OT business and go sign up for the summit. Love y'all. Bye.